اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم انشاءاللہ we'll begin from page number 4 of book 5 verse 255 آیت الکرسی the greatest verse of the Quran which describes the greatest one آیت الکرسی is a description of Allah Azza wa Jal It talks about the greatest being. And this is the reason why Ayatul Kursi has been described as the greatest verse of the Qur'an. So, inshallah, we will listen to the recitation of Ayatul Kursi first, and then we will begin the tafsir. So everybody with full focus and attention, listen to the recitation of Ayatul Kursi. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الله لا إله إلا هو الحي القيوم لا تأخذه سنة ولا نوم له ما في السماوات وما في الأرض من ذا الذي يشفع عنده إلا بإذنه يعلم ما بين أيديهم وما خلفهم ولا يحيطون بشيء من علمه إلا بما شاء وسع كرسيه السماوات والأرض وَلَا يَؤُودُهُ حِفْظُهُمَا وَهُوَ الْعَلِيُّ الْعَظِيمُ Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu anhu reported that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked him that which verse in the book of Allah is the greatest. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked Ubay ibn Ka'ab that which verse of the book of Allah is the greatest. And Ubay radiallahu anhu replied, Allah and His Messenger know best. But the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked him again. He pressed him for an answer. That you answer my question with the best of your knowledge. And Ubay radiallahu anhu said, Ayatul Kursi. Based on his knowledge and understanding, what he had learned of the Qur'an, Ubay bin Ka'ab said, Ayatul Kursi is the greatest verse, I think. And the Prophet ﷺ said, that may knowledge be pleasant to you, O Abu Al-Munzir. Meaning, you have beautiful knowledge, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this even more beautiful and beneficial for you. So Ayat al-Kursi, we learn from this hadith, is the greatest verse. Why is it the greatest? Because it talks about Allah Azza wa Jal. In Ayat al-Kursi, there are ten statements. There are ten statements in this ayah. And each of those statements or sentences describes who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. In this one ayah, we learn some of the most powerful names of Allah and also some of the most amazing attributes, qualities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the reason why This ayah, one ayah is so powerful that when a person recites this ayah, it will be a source of protection for him. It will be a source of protection for him against who? Against shaitan. 
You all know about the hadith where one of the companions was appointed to guard some property in the masjid and someone came in the night and began stealing it. And Abu Hurairah عنه, was the one right, who was guarding the property. So he caught the thief, the thief made excuses, so Abu Hurairah عنه, let him go. This happened multiple times, a few nights in a row. And finally that thief, he said, I will tell you something, which if you read, no one will harm you all night long. And what is that? It is Ayatul Kursi. So when Abu Hurairah told the Prophet ﷺ about this incident, the Prophet ﷺ said that was shaitan. And even though he's a liar, what he said about Ayatul Kursi is true. Meaning if you read it in the night, it will be a source of protection for you. All night long. If you recite Ayatul Kursi, it will be a source of protection for you. This is why we are encouraged to recite Ayatul Kursi in the morning, in the evening, when we go to bed, and also after every fard salah, after every obligatory prayer. So when we complete fajr, when we complete dhuhr, when we complete asr, when we complete maghrib, when we complete isha, what should we recite after salah? What should we recite? Ayatul Kursi. What's the benefit of doing that? In hadith we learn, that whoever recites ayatul kursi immediately after each prayer, prescribed prayer, there will be nothing standing between him and his entering Jannah except death. What does it mean by this? Meaning, reading ayatul kursi after salah is a means of what? Entering Jannah. A small practice. How long does it take to recite ayatul kursi? It doesn't take very long at all. And reciting Ayatul Kursi after every salah is something so great that it can be a means for a person to enter Jannah. We also learned that the person who recites Ayatul Kursi after every salah will be in Allah's protection until the next salah. So from one salah to the next also, you get Allah's protection by reciting Ayatul Kursi. So what is Ayatul Kursi? What does it mean? Let's look at the ayah. Allahu la ilaha illahu. The first statement in Ayatul Kursi is Allahu. It's one word, but it's a complete statement. Allah. What does Allah mean? Allah literally translates as God, the one who is worshipped. So Allah is only Allah, meaning only Allah Azza wa Jal is God. And then the next statement, La ilaha illahu describes Allah. That there is no God worthy of worship except Allah. La ilaha means no God at all. Meaning the only one true real God is who? Is who? Allah alone. We learn that in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الْحَقِّ وَأَنَّ مَا يَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِهِ هُوَ الْبَاطِلِ Only Allah is true. And whatever else that people worship, whatever else that people call upon is false. Meaning it's not actually God. Because there is only one Allah. You see there are many titles, many descriptions that are shared. Meaning if one person has it, it's quite possible that another person also has it. Like for example, you find out that somebody is, let's say, Shaykhul Islam. It's a description, it's a title that is given to an individual because of his expertise in many fields of Islam. But then he's not the only Shaykhul Islam. 
right? There are other Shaykhul Islams also, who also have a lot of knowledge, a lot of expertise in different fields of Islam. So the point is that any title, any description, any honorific, any praise that you give to someone can also be given to another. However, when it comes to the name, the word Allah, then it only fits Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It does not befit anyone else. Because He is the only ilah. La ilaha illahu. And who is He? Al-Hayyul Qayyum. The reason why He is the only ilah is because only Allah is Al-Hayy and Al-Qayyum. Who is Al-Hayy? Al-Hayy is the possessor of complete and perfect hayat. What is hayat? Life. So al-hay means the ever-living. Meaning, he was always alive, is alive, and will remain alive. He is al-hay, the ever-living, alladhi la yamut, the one who does not die. And we see that every creature is such that it will die. It dies. It comes to an end. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the khaliq, the creator. So He is al-hay, the ever-living. And His life, His existence is perfect in every sense. And what this necessitates is that in all of His qualities, He is perfect. Because if you think about it, a creature may be alive for some time, But then what happens? With time, there is decline in their abilities. Right? Like for example, maybe your grandmother says, my eyesight used to be so sharp, I never had to wear glasses, ever. I could do this with my eyes closed. Things like that. I remember someone once telling me that they could pass the thread through the eye of the needle without even looking carefully. They were so good at it. Right? Can you imagine doing that? Have you ever seen the eye of a needle? It's so tiny. And trying to make a thread go through it, it can be a tough job. But this person, they could do it so easily, and now they can't even think about it. Because their eyesight has declined. So this is the reality of creation. Our abilities decline. They become weak with time. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-hayy. And what this means is, that in his knowledge, he is perfect. In his hearing, he is perfect. In his ability, he is perfect. He suffers no decline. That is how he is al-hay. And then, he is also al-qayyum. Al-qayyum. Amazing name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-qayyum is from the root letters, qaf wa'umim. Qaf wa'umim. Qama yaqumu is to, you tell me the meaning? To stand, right? Who is qa'im? Qa'im. A person who is standing, right? He's not leaning on someone, he is standing on his own. That is qa'im. But qayyum, qayyum, you see there's emphasis over here, there is hyperbole over here, and what that means is, al-qayyum is the one who is qa'im himself, okay? Meaning he is independent, he doesn't need anyone. And then, qayyum also means that 
He is also qa'im for everyone else. Meaning, everything depends on Him. Everything that lives, that exists, that has anything, is because of who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So al-qayyum means, first of all, the independent. And secondly, it means that everyone depends on Him. He is Al-Qayyum. And you see Al-Qayyum, ever independent, in need of no one. And Al-Qayyum, everything completely depends on Him. He makes it stand. He makes it live. He makes it survive. So what does Al-Qayyum mean then? That He is perfect in His actions also. So we see in Al-Hay that Allah is perfect in His qualities. And we see in Al-Qayyum that He is perfect in His actions also. And these two names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are so powerful that we learn that once a man, he made dua, and when he was making dua, he said, يَا بَدِيعَ السَّمَاوَاتِ يَا حَيُّ يَا قَيُّومُ إِنِّي أَسْأَلُكَ When he was making dua, this man said, O Allah, O originator of the skies and the earth, O Hay, O Qayyum, I ask you. The Prophet ﷺ said that this person has called upon Allah by those names which when he is called by, he accepts the dua. Meaning if you make dua to Allah using these names, Al-Hayyul Qayyum, what will happen? What will happen? Your dua will be accepted. Because you are praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you are expressing your faith in Allah that He is the most perfect in His abilities and He is the most perfect in His actions. So nothing is difficult for Him, including fulfilling your wish. He is Al-Hayyul Qayyum. Then, لَا تَأْخُذُهُ سِنَةٌ وَلَا نَوْمٌ No sina and no naum takes hold of Him. What is sinah? Sinah is from wow si noon. And sinah is basically the initial stage of sleepiness. Alright? Not when you fall asleep. Sinah is the initial stage of sleepiness. When you start yawning. You know, for example, you're sitting in class for so long, you haven't had breakfast, you haven't even had a sip of water, you slept so late at night, and now that you're sitting in class, you start listening to the lecture, right? And then because you're not writing anything, what happens? Your eyes sort of begin to close. And then you let out a big yawn. This is sinna. Right? Now the thing with sinna is that it comes to you anywhere. At the dinner table, in front of the television. Sometimes even during an exam. Some people will actually feel sleepy. In a classroom, in the car, on the train. Somebody once told me they were sitting on the bus trying to get home, but they were so tired. They fell asleep. And they missed their bus stop, and when they woke up, they were near the airport. I don't know how they got there, but apparently the bus went from near the airport. And so the bus driver was a nice guy, so he helped them get home somehow. But anyway, sinah is the initial stage of being sleepy. And naum is actual sleep. Right? Now notice something, la ta'khuduhu. This drowsiness does not take over him. Are you ever overcome by sleep? Yeah? Does it ever happen with you that you're trying to control your yawns, but they just keep coming? You're trying to keep your eyes open, but they just keep closing? Right? You're trying to pretend that you're listening to someone, but you're so sleepy, you're like, 
uh-huh, uh-huh. So you're overcome by sleep. That's you, right? That's the creation. And why do we get overcome by sleep? Or if not sleep, at least sleepiness. Because we get tired. We need sleep. Otherwise, we can't survive. So there's two reasons for feeling sleepy. One is fatigue. And that includes, for example, being awake for very long. So you're tired of being awake for a very long time. You need sleep. Your body needs the rest. And the second reason for sleep is comfort. This is why we sleep so much on the weekends. Not that we've been sleep deprived all week long. No, but there's just some kind of joy and comfort in sleeping. Isn't it? Like some people just love to sleep. You let them do whatever they want and you'll find them sleeping. So there's two main reasons for sleeping. Now, لا تأخذه سنة ولا نوم In hadith we learn, the Prophet ﷺ said that Allah does not sleep. And it does not befit him to sleep. Because he does not get tired. He does not get exhausted. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the heavens and the earth. This entire creation that we are a part of. And we learn in the Qur'an that وَمَا مَسَّنَا مِن لُغُوبٍ No fatigue even touched Allah. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not get tired even a little bit. Because He is Allah. Because He is الحي القيوم. If He is الحي القيوم, it means that He should not sleep. He should not get tired. Otherwise, how could He be God? How could He be Allah? So who is Allah, the most perfect being? And He is the only one who deserves to be worshipped because He is Al-Hay, Al-Qayyum, and He does not get tired, He does not sleep, He does not get overcome by drowsiness even. لَهُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ To Him belongs whatever that is in the skies and whatever that is in the earth. What does it mean then? What does it mean by this statement? That every single thing that exists belongs to who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let that sink in. Everything belongs to Allah. So there is nothing that exists except that Allah is its owner. What that means is that He is in absolute control over everything. Whether it is somewhere in the sky or somewhere in the earth. Whether it is something living or non-living. Animate or inanimate. Something that people have put together. Something that has free will or does not have free will. Every single thing belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the Malik, the owner. In the Qur'an we learn, and this verse is on the screen, you can see it in Surah Maryam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِن كُلُّ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ إِلَّا آتِ الرَّحْمَنِ There is nothing in the heavens and the earth except that it is an abd, a slave to Allah. Who is a slave? Someone who is owned. So every single thing is an abd to Allah, meaning it is owned by Allah. So Allah alone is the owner and everything else is owned by Him. He alone is the creator and everything else has been created by Him. 
He alone is the provider, the sustainer, and everything else is sustained by Him. He is Al-Hay, so He is the one who has given life to those who are living. He is Al-Qayyum, so He has maintained and provided for those who are living. لَهُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ He is the all-powerful because He is the owner of all. You see, as people, we have this really big delusion and that delusion is of control. We want control. We think we have control and we want greater control over our lives, over the things that we have, over the situations that we are in. We want control. And if anybody takes that control away from us, we get upset. Right? Like for example, you say, it's my life, my weekend, I want to sleep. And if your mom comes and says, get up, get ready, let's go, you get upset. But why are you telling me? Right? Let me just turn 18 and then I'll show you. Once I'm an adult, I'm not going to listen to anybody. 16, sorry. Not 18, 16. Anyway, the point is that we like to have a sense of control. We like to exert that control. And if anybody takes that control away from us, we feel threatened. But what does this part of the ayah tell us? لَهُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ What does it mean? That ultimately, who is really in control? Who is really in control? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Which is why sometimes even your own body, you don't have control over. Isn't it? You want to stay awake and study, but you fall asleep at your desk. You fall asleep with your face in your books. Has it ever happened with you? It's happened with me many times. You want to get up and do something, but your body is tired. You want to eat more, but your stomach is full. You want to drive fast, but the road is busy. It's full, right? So the thing is that no matter how much control we think we may have over a situation, in reality, we are not in control. Who is really in control? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now what happens is, psychologically, what happens with people is that when they feel like they're losing control over a situation, people feel threatened. And as they feel threatened, it affects not just mental health, but even physical health. It also affects people's physical health. Now, a believer knows that in every situation, even if he doesn't have control, who still has control? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what does that mean? That I have to seek the help of Allah. And I have to leave my affairs to who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He will manage, He will provide, He will take care of me. So, لَهُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ on the one hand, is very humbling. It makes you humble. And at the same time, it's very empowering. It gives you confidence also. So it humbles you, breaks your pride and arrogance, and it also empowers you. It gives you courage and confidence. Because you know that even though something may be beyond your control, it is still owned by Allah. لَهُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ مَنْ الَّذِي يَشْفَعُ عِنْدَهُ إِلَّا Who is that person? Who is it that could intercede with Allah except by His permission? 
You know that intercession, we have learned about shafa'ah before, many times in this surah. Shafa'ah is something that will occur when? On the day of judgment. And what is shafa'ah? To intercede for someone, that when someone's in danger, you go and request for them. You request the one in authority to pardon them. So on the day of judgment, there will be shafa'ah, like for example, the prophets will be given permission to intercede on behalf of some people. So they will request Allah to pardon them, to admit them into Jannah. And there's different types of shafa'ah that will occur on the day of judgment, but that's not the main subject of discussion over here. The point is that no one can even make a request with Allah unless and until Allah allows them. Unless Allah allows them that, okay, you may request then only that individual can make a request. What does this tell us about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? His supreme power and authority. No one can challenge Him. No one can even make a request before Him. No one can speak before Him unless He allows. Unless He gives permission. So what does this mean? That this dunya, this world belongs to him, and the akhirah also belongs to him. He is the all-powerful. مَنْ ذَا الَّذِي يَشْفَعُ عِنْدَهُ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِهِ يَعْلَمُ مَا بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَمَا خَلْفَهُمْ He knows what is before them and what is behind them. Knowledge is power, right? Knowledge is power. But it is power only for Allah. Knowledge is not power for us. Not always. In some situations it may be. But the thing is that even though we may be aware of something, we don't have control over it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is aware of everything and He also has control over it. We may know about something, but only very little bit about it. We may be ignorant of the rest of the details, which may be extremely important. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows about everything. He knows what is before them, what is behind them. What does it mean by this? What is before you and what is behind you? Hmm? Okay, one way to look at this is, what is before them, meaning the future, and what is behind them, meaning the past. We only know about what? The present. Isn't it? What happens to the past? Do you remember what happened to you when you were one year old? Seriously, you don't. You forget. Even if I were to ask you some specific details about last year, what were you doing on the 23rd of September at 2 o'clock, you may not remember. So our past, our knowledge of the past, right, is affected by forgetfulness. Isn't it? As time goes on, we forget what happened in the past. Or we were just not there. Like for example, 150 years ago, what exactly happened? Right? 2,000 years ago, what happened? We weren't there. We can go and dig the earth. We can find some remains of some people or a nest of a bird, some eggs and things like that. And we can try to study them and try to figure out what happened. But really, we can never know the whole story. Isn't it? Who knows the whole story? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
He knows what is behind them. What is before them and what is behind them. Future, we cannot know about because we haven't seen it. We're not there yet. But even before something happens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows about it. What's going to happen five years from now, ten years from now, a hundred years from now? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows about it. يَعْلَمُ مَا بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَمَا خَلْفَهُمْ Again, this statement humbles us and empowers us. It humbles us, it breaks our ego, and it empowers us because it tells us who our Lord is. So if we believe in Him and trust Him, then why worry? Then what is before them and what is behind them can also be understood in another way. What way do you think? How else do you think we could understand this? What is before a person and what is behind a person? What is before a person is something that he can see, right? And what is behind a person is something that he cannot see. So ma bayna aidihim refers to what? What people know, what they have discovered, what they can observe. Alright? And what is behind them is that which is hidden from people. Hidden from people. They don't know about. And if you think about it, in this world, I mean, have we discovered, have we learned about every single thing about this planet? No, we haven't. We've only discovered a little bit. Has it ever happened with you that you learn something in science and then as you take another course a year later and another course a year later, you find out things that contradict your previous knowledge? Yeah? And you're like, what's going on? I mean, I learned such and such in grade 8 and now in grade 12, this is something completely different. You know why it's like that? Because they teach you in stages. Gradually. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He knows what is before us and what is behind us. He knows what we have discovered and whatever we have not discovered. Before we continue, something else about He knows what is before them and what is behind them. Fir'aun asked Musa alayhi salam, okay, when Musa alayhi salam told Fir'aun about Allah, Fir'aun asked a question that, فَمَا بَالُ الْقُرُونِ الْأُولَى what about the previous generations? What's going to happen to them? And Musa alayhi salam, he replied, that ilmuha inda rabbi, la yadillu rabbi wala yansa. La yadillu rabbi wala yansa. He said, its knowledge is with Allah. Allah knows about all the past nations, all the past generations, what they did, what their outcome should be. Allah knows about it. And la yadillu rabbi, my Lord does not make an error. Wala yansa, nor does he forget. When you have to recall things that you have learned in the past, do you ever make mistakes? Do you ever make mistakes? Of course you do. Like for example, you're supposed to write a test. And what are you being tested on? On completely new material? No. Material that you learned, that you studied, that you read, you heard. But then what happens when you see that test? Those words, those names, they look completely new to you. Right? So you forget. And sometimes you make mistakes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not make any mistake, nor does He forget. لا يضل ربي ولا ينسى. 